The reading from the New Testament comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It can be found on page 2 in your bulletin. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. My name is Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown. And uh, let's ask for God's help. God, we come here uh, in many ways, from many places. But you are no uh, respecter of persons. You are willing to help any and every one of us. And so we pray that you would take what you call a living word and make us alive. In Christ's name, amen. We often say here at Grace Downtown that uh, our goal, one of our goals, is to be inwardly growing and outwardly serving. And we've been focusing on that first part, inwardly growing, uh, as we're talking about spiritual practice this year, experiencing God's word, experiencing prayer. We're going to talk about some of the other things, sacraments later. But I want you, just for a second... Think about one area of your life in which you would hope to grow. Maybe you've been struggling to grow. Maybe it's, I wish I were more patient. I wish I could grow in patience. I wish I could grow in risk-taking. I wish I could grow in compassion. And how have you been trying to grow? Now, you might try this method. Um, if any of you are fans of the sitcom 30 Rock, um, a, a few, there we go, a few have. We've been sort of, uh, you know, needing lighter moments. Our family's been recycling uh, through them. And uh, came up on the episode where uh, Jack Donaghy, who's the network executive, he has to go to this corporate retreat, and he has to see all his fellow managers, and he's really afraid. And so one of the techniques he invokes is he talks to himself in the mirror. And he says things like, you're a lion, take what's yours. Right? And uh, he does this right before he has to see the group in the men's room, and he has one of these on, and it's on. And everybody hears what he says, and he, of course, they're, they're, you know, he's totally laughed out. Um, now, we relate to that for a few reasons, because part of growing is like, you know, telling yourself the truth. In that case, maybe that's not the truth, but telling yourself true things, hopeful things to grow. But we also laugh because, you know, simply hyping yourself up that way, right? 
That's not going to do it. It's not enough. And, and I'll say there's an, an analogy there with how sometimes the Christian faith will operate. On one hand, yes, the Christian faith stresses it's really important to believe true things. It's important to attach your belief and hope to true things. But believing the right things is not enough to grow. It's not enough to grow. I have found in my own life the gap between my knowing and growing is many times asking. It's prayer. Asking God to work in my life. When that's missing, it's like putting a seed on concrete. Nothing's going to happen. But the soil of growth is prayer. And so I don't want us to miss, as we're going to look at some very valuable things, as we listen in on the Apostle Paul's prayer, I don't want us to forget it's a prayer. It's easy to focus on the valuable things, but it came in prayer. And these are the things that I want to draw our attention to as we think about spiritual growth or spiritual formation is another way to say it. Uh, what's being grown, how it's being grown, and why it's being grown. Another way we could say that is the organism of growth, the life of growth, the fragrance, the smell of growth. So first of all, let's look at what we're growing. Now, um, we went and got some plants yesterday and um, to put in our front yard, and Meg uh, wisely said, well, you know, let's read the little card that sticks in the soil because you got to know what you're growing, right? Is it like an indoor plant, an outdoor plant? Does it need a little sun? Does it need a lot of sun? Does it need a lot of rain, a lot of water, not that much? You got to know what you're growing. So what is God growing? What is God growing? So I, I would ask you, um, is he growing a garden of like tulips, you know, single solitary beautiful flowers that all come together? Is he growing stuff that's more like a rhododendron, a cluster of things? I would say it's very easy for those of us that live in the West in America, we tend to think of spiritual growth more in terms of that God is growing tulips because spiritual growth for us is personal growth. But actually, the Bible says that God is actually growing a cluster of flowers. Maybe we can use a tree example. God is growing a tree. That's what the spiritual growth is about. God himself, Christ, the trunk, the first branches were the people of Israel, the believers in Israel, and then the nations became branches added on to that. But that in and of itself is a really important thing. Right? Because that means that spiritual growth isn't just me, it's us. Only me can grow so far. Now, why am I going on about this? Because it's the background of this prayer. And I have to confess, I, I've never really sort of looked at that from that lens. It's the background of the prayer. How do I know this? Verse 15, Paul says... For this reason, 
And if he says, for this reason, then we have to say, well, for what reason? We read backward. But then as we're reading backward, and Paul's just talking about his work as an apostle, he says it again, for this reason. We got to go back further. And we go back further, and it takes us to chapter 2, where Paul says this. For Jesus, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. For Jesus, who has made us both, that's Jew and Gentile, both one, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and might reconcile us, Jew and Gentile, both to God and one body through the cross. For through him, Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. In the book of Romans, Paul would say it like this. He would say, it's as if uh, some of the branches of the Jewish believers in Israel had been broken off because of unbelief. And so God grafted in And this is amazing. You can actually graft branches and plants together. Has anybody ever done that? I don't blame you. It sounds really hard. I mean, no, I spent time reading about it, and I was still like, what? What's happening exactly? So he adds the branches of the nation. So a couple key things here. A couple key things right away about spiritual growth. One, as I said, spiritual growth is cluster growth. Spiritual growth is together growth. And so in the Christian faith, if you were hoping to grow spiritually, you cannot do it by yourself. And it's not even other people are a nice add-on. Because God ain't growing tulips, he's growing a tree. But the second thing is this. The kind of organism and plant God is growing is of the most wonderful kind. Because if you can imagine, it is a tree that blooms all the flowers and all the fruits of the world ever. It's that kind of tree. It can't be grown actually in worldly soil. It's a heavenly tree. And this is what brings Paul to his knees. Right? He says, so I bow my knees before the Father of whom the whole family of believers, those that are alive now and those that were lived before and have gone into glory, the family of believers of every culture and race, that's what brings Paul to his knees, that God, through Jesus Christ and the pouring out of his spirit, has been able to run his redemption and grace all over the world through every nation and every culture. Something that no other faith and no other philosophy is able to do, and it's still doing that today. Right? No matter how much difference there is nationally or political, you can still actually stare at someone and go, we're the same family, aren't we? There's something deeper here that's binding us. And so, when we think about spiritual growth, another thing we have to keep in mind is that God is growing one tree of every culture and every nation. There's one tree. So that means, to sum up, when you and I think of spiritual growth, we must think of it corporately and cross-culturally. Because there's one tree. And it's a cross-cultural tree. It's a global tree. Now, the church has always gotten into this pro- problem. And I was, um, Meg and I, 
Later, earlier this year, we were visiting um, the Chambers, Tim and Christina Chambers, and they have just bought a house in the city, and, um, you know, they got some work to do, like every house, right? If you can actually pull off buying a house, most houses need a lot of work here. And uh, but Tim took me into the backyard, and he was, you know, it was like a little forest out there, and he said, well, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that, this thing, that. And I said, well, what's that tree? And he goes, well, that's a weed tree. I said, what? He said, that's a weed tree. You know, you know those weeds that kind of grow in your backyard, and they, they start, they're sturdy things, and, and, and you're really impressed. They can't even get this high and this high. And I said, are you telling me? that if I let one of those things keep growing, it turns into a tree? He's like, yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, we think what God is growing is the church tree, but it's a weed tree. You see, um, if our idea of a, of a tree, of the church, is it's a, mostly a me tree, or it's mostly, I imagine, it's a tree of sort of my people, it's a weed tree. Because the tree that God is growing ain't just me, it's us. And it's a tree of every ethnic race culture. Which gets into the hard work because it's tough hoeing. Right? I mean, of course, in the world, it's very hard to see that. It's very hard to grow that sort of tree. But let's not kid ourselves. It's really hard in the church, too. It's hard hoeing. And that's why this second point encourages me. How it's grown. Well, it's grown with the life of the Son of God. The life of Christ. Now, um, here Paul pulls in a different analogy. He talks about money or wealth. He says the riches of God's glory. So God's glory is like this. Uh, God's glory is the brightness of all his greatness. The brightness of all his greatness. And so imagine this. You know, you walk into a cave and you turn on your iPhone. I was going to say, you know, you light, you light a torch, but that's not going to happen, Right? Turn on your iPhone, wow, it's full of treasures. I mean, like the most amazing treasures, big treasures. That's what it's like with God's glory. God's glory is the light that shows all the treasures of who he is. And so you look at that treasure and you see the glory of his kindness and of his wisdom and of his grace and for our purpose, his power. The glory of his power. Can God, this is half the battle for you and I. You know, if, if you and I could really see the power of God, see the holiness of God, see the righteousness, you know, if we could see it. In fact, elsewhere, Paul prays, I pray that you could just see it. I mean, that's where a small prayer is really helpful. Help me just to see and so, he says, I pray that we would be strengthened with that power. And that's good news, because, good news because we are so weak, especially when we're trying to do an un-me tree 
and a fruitful different tree. I was thinking about this. Meg and I were watching and our daughter Isabel uh, a couple months ago. I may have mentioned this, but not the same point I'm going to make. Um, uh, the new West Side Story. Anybody seen the new West Side Story? I'll tell you, I, I have to give cred on that. Who, who would take that job? Only Steven Spielberg, right? Who would take that job? He did a great job. Great job. But if you've seen it before, you know that scene, the whole setup, right, is you got these poor kids that live in New York City and they have gangs. There's the Irish gang, the Jets, the Puerto Rican gang, the Sharks. And they're constantly warring and fighting. But there's this one point they end up at the high school, the dance together. And, uh, you know, the teacher there works so hard just to, just to see, can, can they just, could one dance, one dance, I want to see if you can link up differently with one another and dance. And just when you, they just can't do it. They're too weak to do it. And that's what it's like, right? We're so weak. Man, so weak. So weak. I mean, I just think of any day in my life. I feel so weak to just be patient. So weak not to just feel like, oh man, I, I do everything. You know, so weak to, to, to hope so weak to believe the, that the families in the community of those children can go on. So weak to believe it. But this is the beautiful thing about it. In the Christian faith, weakness is not a curse, it's actually a blessing. Weakness is not a liability, it's an asset. In fact, the words, Lord, I can't do it, are magic words. They're magic words. And this was something the Apostle Paul was really into. In fact, some theologians call him the Apostle of Weakness. So, Paul, just to bring out a few little points about that. Paul regularly talks about how his own sin and selfishness made him weak and how his own suffering made him weak. But he somehow came to see through God's grace there was something right about weakness. Something right about it. For instance, once reflecting on our moral weakness, what the Bible calls our sin, he says this, at just the right time, when we were weak, Jesus died for sinners. You see, if in your mind God dies for the strong, if God gives himself actually for the ones that perform it all the way right and that are the most diligent and the most moral, if you believe that at the right time God dying for you is when you were at the top of your game, you'll never get the grace of God. But on the other hand, if you're depleted, if you're at that place of going, ah, I can't do it, empty hands, that's just the right time for the power of God to show up. Or in the place of chronic suffering, emotional or physical, the Apostle Paul, because God had blessed him with such insight, God also gave him a thorn 
He said a thorn of his flesh, and we don't know, but it was something that was very painful that kept Paul low, and he asked repeatedly, would you take this away? And Paul was no wimp. I don't think it was like, you know, his, his spring allergies were bothering him. He pleaded, would you take it away? And the Lord said, I'm not going to do that, because when you are weak, you're going to see how powerful my grace is. And so I'm going to leave you in that low place. And that's what he did. But that means that don't hate your weakness or waste your weakness. Build a foundation so God can build a power station on top of it. Let your weakness be soil, back to soil. What's soil made up of? Things that are decaying and things that die. Die to your self-righteousness. Die to your pride. Die to your kingdom building. Die to your control. Die to your need to be loved by everybody. Die. That soil will be power growth. Miracle growth. But there's something else about the power we got to hit before we move to the last point. And that is, where does it reside? And he says, in the inner being. Now, outward power is very attractive. Samson in the Bible wanted outward power. But inwardly, he really had a tendency toward womanizing and violence. Delilah, she wanted outward power. But inside, she, she liked to use it for charm. Manipulation, a little bit of vengeance thrown in there. Pilate, the Roman governor who helped crucify Jesus, he had outward political power, but inside he did not have the power of conviction to do what is right. The religious fairies, the religious fairies, did I say fairies? Not sure they're fairies in the Bible. <laughs> Pharisees, I'm sure of. Religious Pharisees, right? They had religious power, a form of godliness without power, but inside they were like rotting tombs. Same way, you and I spent a lot of time seeking power, out, the outer man, outer woman power. This is one of the reasons we love Marvel movies so much. I mean, I love Marvel movies. And there's something, you know, just wonderful, supernatural, but some of it's, right, like, that's the kind of power I want. Instead of the Jesus power, no beauty or majesty, walks into a town, nobody knows who he is. He isn't respected among his, uh, you know, those in his colleague and his guild. Regularly is unimpressive to people. Or when he is impressive, they totally miss why, right? We could go on about that. But inner power, that's what we're after. But in the same time, at that point, our culture, I would say, kind of nods its head because there is a part of our culture, modern culture, that's all about inner power, the inner power of positivity, the universe giving me inner power, the inner power of spiritual energy. But what's the purpose of that power? It tends to be self-accomplishment, self Achievement, self-fulfillment, that's not the nature of this inner power. 
How do we know? This little word dwelling. That word dwelling is a little key word that takes you back in the Old Testament to temple. You know, back in those days, people had to travel a long, long way if they wanted to get some God time. God had decided, even though God is everywhere, that he would graciously locate himself in the temple. The temple was the meeting place between God and men. And so Jesus goes to spend time with the Samaritan woman and they start getting into it about all that stuff. And he basically says, things have changed. I now am the meeting place between heaven and earth, between God and man. And what does that tell you? You got this idea of dwelling in the inner person. In the Christian faith, the power is not just transactional. The power is relational. The power is God coming and dwelling in you. And that's what you really need. That's what I need. You don't need all the power in the universe. You don't need all the spiritual energy you can muster together. You might think you need that, but you're going to have a very lonely life. Paul says, I pray that the Spirit would give you power and that Christ would dwell, the Son of God would dwell in your heart by faith. That you would receive him in. Will you receive the Son of God into your heart? The testimony of the Scripture of the Bible throughout nations and history and generations is that the Son of God, Jesus, rose. And that power of his person will make its home inside of you. That's what it does. You know, when we planted things yesterday, I, you know, I try to remember what I need I tend to move so fast, I'm like, ah, I forgot this, I forgot that. But I was like, all right, I'm going to get my gloves so I don't have to clean my fingernails later. I'm going to get my gloves, get my shovel, right? You got the plant, you got to get a hose, what are the things you need? I can do all that, I can put it in the ground. But unless the sun shows up, unless a power outside of myself, there's going to be no energy and no nutrients the Lord has given himself so that you have power to grow. What I'm saying to you and I is, you and me, are you reckoning, if you, if you are a professing Christian, if you believe, do you have any idea the potential for growth that resides in you? Any idea? It's amazing, but let's get to this last point, the fragrance of growth. You know, uh, in this way, I wish we could all be like dogs, right? Dogs are super smellers, right? Everything, they can, you know, can we, can we do this? Um, so follow me just as we round this point because this is sort of the, this is the aha. Paul has been building this. He's been saying, I pray 
that you will be strengthened by the Spirit with power so that the Son of God will dwell in your heart. For what purpose? For what purpose? He says one thing. So that you would know the immense, unimaginable, limitless love of God expressed in Jesus. That's why. That's what the power, he says, don't take my word for it, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The power of the Spirit, the purpose is that you and I could grasp the love of God that was demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Three points on that. Short points. One, it's not just the generic general love of God. We're told in the Bible that God demonstrates the pinnacle of his love is seen in the suffering of Jesus Christ. It's a suffering love. Now, we could even go beyond that. We could talk about the distance and depth of the love shown in Jesus, that he traversed eternity and glory in heaven, right? Yahweh, the Lord, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, seen all throughout the Old Testament. He, that one, at the bidding of the Father and the Spirit, comes and just takes on flesh and blood and sandals and a robe or the depth of humility. You know, when we just see, we, we get so excited when a person of just marginal greatness does something just a little bit humble. Right, maybe like, you know, we, we, we go, we're at some place and it's a service thing and you're like, yeah, you know, so-and-so elected fish were there or this celebrity was there and, you know, something, I, they did this and they stayed to the very end. I, we're just so jazzed about it. This is the infinite God of the universe washing feet and taking the lowest place. We could talk about distance, we could talk about depth, we could talk about substitution, we could talk about sacrifice that he came in weakness because someone had to die for your sins. Someone had to die for my sins. Justice had to be done. We could talk about capable and conquering love. That the fact that all his good deeds go in my bank account and all my bad deeds went on him, it worked. It was accepted. And the fact that he rose, it was a conquering love. We could talk about all these different things here. But I just want to talk about love. I just, I just want you to hear about love right now. But God, this is again in Ephesians, Paul says this. And this is really good for church folk to hear. He says, all of us at one time, lived for self in our own passions and our own desires. It's just like me. You still see that, right? 
At one time, we all lived for self. And we merited the judgment, the rightful judgment of God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Is it a great love to you with which he loved you? It's got to be both. Is it a great, astonishing love? It will only be if both of those together. If it's just God sort of generically loves the world, that's not a great love. Lots of people kind of do that. But this love expressed in Christ, nobody does. Nobody loves like Jesus. But you know, that can be as theoretically as wonderful as possible. But unless you believe, if you believe that Glenn, he loves Glenn that way, he loves Mike that way, he loves Lauren that way, if you believe that, and you don't believe he loves me that way, it won't have power. But he does. Now, this is what I want to ask you. When you pray for the power of God, what are you praying for? Is it, God, would you give me the power to be more disciplined? Would you give me the power to stop being depressed? Would you give me the power to feel better? Would you give me the power to be delivered from this crappy situation I'm in? Listen, all of those are appropriate prayers, but they pale into, are you praying that you would see the power of God's love in your life? That's what we're being called to pray for if we're gonna grow. We feel, you know, that sort of prayer, I, I was having a text with my daughter and she was sharing um, the lyrics of the song, Stupid Deep. You know, that, some of you guys know that song. Anyway, she was like, I love this song. It reminds me of God's love in this way, in this way. And we just were kind of going back and forth and just both saying, you know, there's something that feels self-indulgent and selfish for me to go, I'm going to just bask in the fact that I'm loved this way. You're commanded to, to pray for that first. But the good news about this thing is uh, we don't have the power to do it. And so we got the benediction. You know the benediction at the end that says, now to him, we say it all the time, now to him who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do you know that's talking about the love of God? That's, it's attached. It all flows together, right? Second thing. Well, I just said the second thing. Paul reminds us that we need God's power to do it. And he says two things about it that I love. One, he says that it is love that exceeds your rationality. It includes your rationality and your logic, but this is what the love of God is like. And, and I know you've had moments like this before. There's a way that I feel warmed with the love of God as I think about everything that Christ did for me, the selflessness, when I think about how personal it was for me, I th when I think about the fact that God loves me unconditionally and freely. I think about that I, the, the Father looks at me and he sings songs over me. And I think about the fact that he, he sees me as a favored son. And I think about the fact that his love has no ending and I'm like his bride and that he, all these things. I think about 
praise God, but there's sometimes, you know, it's even better. I feel it. Feel it. Sometimes, you know, it's not even like I plan to it. I'm just walking and boom, God's spirit just hits me with this sense and this feeling. I see you and I love you. And I, I can swear to you, no one else in D.C. is being loved at that moment. It's just me. But that would be bad theology because I said we're all getting loved corporately. <laughs> but then he says, filled to the fullness. And we had that Ezekiel reading, right? Think about the temple. This happened. I was reading about Solomon this week. Dedication of the temple. I love this. God's glory just pushes them out the door. It says that the glory, the cloud of glory came and it filled the temple that the priest couldn't handle it. The pre, I don't know what that meant, what it saw, but the love was so... He's saying that the Spirit of God means to do that with you. Like, that God's love would crowd out every fear, every insecurity. It would crowd out the, the, the fullness of God. That's the word he uses, the temple we're talking about. The love of God is known. The fullness of it drops. This is what he does through Christ. And lastly... It's with all the saints. I pray that you would comprehend with all the saints. There's the togetherness. I've used this analogy, maybe you've heard me use it before, but sometimes I imagine that God's love is this great panorama. And um, the, the only way we can take it all in is there's a circle of God's people, but they're all facing outward toward the panorama. And they're reporting to each other what they're seeing. Because I can't take in the whole vista of God's love. I can only see one part. But you're back there and you're looking at that vista and someone else is over there and you're seeing that vista of it. But the, the, the thing that connects with where we just went through is this. I don't just need people like me. I need the cross-cultural body of Christ if I'm actually going to see that love. There's an in there that it's through the cross-cultural expression of the body of Christ that I really come to see all the love of the Lord has. And that then sends us out the doors. We become an embassy to the world of God's love. So, praying for spiritual growth. Can I? Oh, Lord, we thank you for um, you giving your spirit, Father and Son. We thank you for the power that was exhibited in Jesus being raised from the dead. We thank you for your willingness to make your home inside of us. I pray you would do that for all of us. We pray, oh God, that we would hunger and thirst to be part of a growing cross-cultural tree, and we pray, oh God, that the fragrance of this tree in this church, in this city, would be love. In Christ's name, amen.